If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. We'll be looking this evening at Joshua chapter 10. It is the story that is, I think, well known to many of us of the battle that Joshua and the Israelites fought and how the sun stood still. If you would please now give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Joshua chapter 10. As soon as Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. (coughs) So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Mechadekah. And they were fled before Israel. And they were going down, and while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down huge stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord obeyed the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. 
So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machedah. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machedah. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Machedah. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone out with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. As for Machedah, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. And he did to the king of Machedah just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Machedah to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it, and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel, and he captured it on the second day, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and every person in it, as he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people, until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it, and fought against it. And they captured it on that day, and struck it with the edge of the sword. And he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it, and captured it, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and its king and its towns, and every person in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Eglon, and devoted it to destruction, and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir 
and fought against it, and he captured it with its king and all its towns. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and its king, so he did to Debir and to its king. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negeb and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would take this word, that you would use it in our lives to remind us to trust you, to remind us of your great power, and to remind us that our future is secure in you, O Lord. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. So we pick up Joshua chapter 10 in what is called Joshua's Southern Campaign. He will be campaigning with Israel in the southern end of the promised land. And so what Joshua is now faced with is a new challenge. There is a new challenge before Israel. But that challenge, remember, comes in a context. And that context is is that we and Joshua know the end of the story. Israel is in the middle of their conquest, and there have been ups And there have been downs. They've conquered Jericho. They've conquered Ai. But they've also seen the incident with Achan at Ai and the defeat. They've also just recently been tricked by the Gibeonites into making a covenant with them. And all of these ups and downs are going according to the plan of God. Because you see... Even though Joshua and the Israelites are in the midst of their circumstances, the foundation for this conquest starts much earlier. It goes all the way back to the Exodus, doesn't it? When they left Egypt to go into the Promised Land. But actually it goes back even further than that, doesn't it? It goes back to the days of Jacob and his sons, how they went to Israel and how God had told them that they would dwell there for a time and then would leave. But it actually goes back even further, doesn't it? It goes back to the days of Abraham, in which Abraham was told that the iniquity of the Amorites would be full at a time. And then the Lord would judge and punish them. Remember that, that Abraham was told about the iniquity of the Amorites, those same Amorites that we see here in Joshua chapter 10. All of this plan of God was in place during the wanderings in the wilderness. And so this is important for us to understand if we put ourselves in Israel's place as they wander around for 40 years with all sorts of trials and difficulties, challenges. All through that period of time, God had been telling them that they should have great confidence 
God had been telling them that His faithfulness would never waver. God had been telling them that His plan had never changed. Now, why is that important for you and for me? We're not going to go, I think, campaigning off in the desert. I hope we don't wander for 40 years in any place. But it's important for us to hear this and understand how Joshua and the Israelites handled their circumstances, because the way that the Lord dealt with them is not unlike His dealings with us. Because God's plan for the believer in Christ starts much earlier, doesn't it? Just like it did His plan for Joshua and the conquest. The Bible speaks, after all, of our election from before the foundation of the world. But just even think about your own circumstances. Think about all of the circumstances that came into place so that you could hear the gospel message, so that you could believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes back decades, doesn't it, with people and circumstances. If you say to me, well, pastor, I grew up in a Christian home. It was easy for me. No, the reason you grew up in a Christian home is because God brought your father and your mother together. And the reason your father and your mother came together is because God had providentially worked through each of their families for generations before to bring them to the point where they would form a Christian home. You see, if we think about all of these circumstances, we understand that God is at work in our lives. And even in the midst of difficult times, we realize that God is in control. And that gives us comfort and confidence. You see, the end that God has designed for His people is glorification. And let me tell you, If you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust Jesus Christ as the one who has died for your sins and you have found forgiveness in Christ, then you will get there to glorification. Now, I know there's a lot of days when it doesn't feel like you will, does it? Just this past weekend, with all of the cold weather, I was immediately reminded of my own mortality. I think all of our bones just ache more when it's cold. It's hard to get up. It's hard to move around. We're very aware of our limitations. But God is not limited. And in the midst of difficult circumstances, we cannot lose sight of the end that God has prepared for us. He will never let us go. Sometimes we think He is hidden from our eyes. But the Lord, indeed, is with us at all times. You see, that's the problem now for Israel. The problem is the present for them. The problem is that they are stuck in the middle, as it were. In the middle of the conquest. The conquest is not complete yet. And that incompleteness is painful and it is difficult. Knowing the outcome does not complete the journey. And so you see, they are still struggling with their circumstances of the present because the conquest, after all, was not easy. They were required to have faith and trust in God. They were required not to be afraid. They were required to seek God and His will. And they have gone through failings. 
They've seen Achan betray the command of God and bring shame upon Israel. They did not seek the Lord when the Gibeonites came and tricked them into making a covenant. But they have made a good start. And this would give them confidence. But there is something about a good start that is problematic as well. Maybe you experience this. It happens that once we begin to succeed, we can become reluctant to keep going on. Because we begin to be more afraid of losing what we have than of completing the journey. This could have been the way the Israelites looked at this. And now a new problem comes to them, a new challenge. For the very first time, the Canaanites unite against them. Five kings gather together their forces to attack Israel and its new ally, Gibeon. Now the irony is here, is that the problem manifests itself because of the challenge with Gibeon. Because they did not seek the Lord in prayer, because they made a covenant with Gibeon and were deceived, now a greater challenge comes to them because they are now in control of the central plain of the promised land. And the kings of the Amorites understand what this means. When the Gibeonites sided with Israel, it marked a real turn in the war. They saw that Gibeon was not like a small city like Ai. It was a royal city. It would have a king. It had its own towns. And what the king of Jerusalem says is, if this is the way things are going to go, it will go badly for us. Now is the time. We need to unite and we need to show Gibeon a lesson so that no one else defects also. This reminds us in the midst of of our own circumstances and struggles, that evil will not sit idly by as the forces of the Lord advance. When you are moving forward with the Lord, expect resistance. If you don't have some enemies, it means you're not fighting for something worth something. This is what the Israelites are experiencing. So what should Joshua do? We would not be surprised if this would seem too much for Joshua. It's the first time he's faced a united enemy. This sort of takes the conflict up to a whole new level. Maybe his advisor should tell him to pause. Maybe he should even abandon the conquest in the sight of this united opposition. But what we see is that the Lord comes to Joshua. The Lord comes to Joshua in verse 8. After Gibeon has asked for Joshua and Israel's assistance, God comes to him and he says, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Now, notice what God says to Joshua. Do not fear. Does that sound familiar? It should, because it's exactly what God said in chapter 1, verse 5 of Joshua. This is how God works. He doesn't need to bring us some sort of new and advanced truth. He just needs to remind us of His truth and His plan and His relationship. 
Now, this old truth will be applied to a new situation. But it is the same thing that God has said to Joshua earlier. The truth of God's word is timeless. But they do come to us, these truths, freshly for the struggles that we are in. As you struggle in life, as you face trials and circumstances, do not look for new truth. Go to God's Word and find the old truths that God has repeated to His people over and over and over again and apply them freshly to your new circumstances. Secondly, notice what Joshua's response is to the Lord. We might have expected Joshua to be complacent. Oh, okay, God, I won't be afraid. You've got this. I'll sit back and let you take care of it. After all, the Lord had promised victory to Joshua in verse 8. Joshua doesn't need to do anything because God's in control. This is often the charge that is brought against those of us that understand that the Scripture speaks of divine sovereignty in the kingdom of God and salvation. Someone will say, well then, why do you bother to pray? Why do you bother to preach? Why do you bother to do evangelism if God is in control? But see what Joshua does here. And as we reflect on it, see that it makes great sense. Joshua responds to this statement of God that he's in control with more activity than Joshua has ever taken before. Joshua becomes downright inventive. He says, God's in control. We're going to mark a surprise attack. We're going to march all night long, and we are going to hit the enemy by surprise when they're not expecting us. Joshua is active. He is ingenious. He is taking the initiative because he knows God is in control. You see, it is knowing that God is its sovereign that frees us to act. Do you think William Carey would have gone halfway around the world to India if he was afraid that one misstep would lead to the damnation of millions? No. But you see, because he believed in the sovereignty of God, he had the boldness to go where people told him, you don't need to go and you shouldn't go. And he said, God has his people there and I will serve him. You see, in fact, God's sovereignty and control is freeing for Joshua. And that's what it is for us in our lives too, in our mission work, in our evangelism, and even in our own lives. To know that God is in control gives us the confidence we need to act. We're not frozen, afraid of the consequences, afraid that things will spin out of control because we know that they're already in God's hands. This is a recipe for action. You see, then what Joshua experiences is the Lord at work in his midst. Look at verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon. So what we see here is the Lord is a mighty warrior. Joshua takes the initiative. He takes this nighttime raid upon the kings of the Amorites. 
But the Lord is the one who is fighting for Israel. So much so that hailstones begin to fall out of the sky. And our author tells us more were killed by hailstones than by the army of Israel. Now, imagine that. Imagine the power of God manifesting itself. To know that God is in complete control and that He is powerful. So we must not be complacent or lazy in our lives and in our work. Because if we are, we will not see the Lord at work in our lives. We must trust God for the final results, but we must act and follow His commands. Now, as Joshua is seeing all of this go around him, he realizes the victory could be even greater. The confidence that he has in the sovereignty of God and in God's fighting for Israel causes Joshua to pray and to pray boldly. What a prayer this is. Now, I want you to see just a few things about this in verses 12 and 13. Joshua knows that he needs divine intervention, and yet he is continuing in his work. And he sees that he needs help from God to continue in his work. And so he speaks as a man directly to the Son. Now imagine what that looks like. If you're having difficulty, imagine what would happen if I took us outside right now, and I yelled out, Son, rise up! You'd think I'd had a little bit of a screw loose in my head. But you see, he's not afraid to do this because look at what the text tells us. He prays this prayer to the Lord, speaking to the Son in the sight of Israel. He says it publicly in front of everyone, expecting God to answer his prayer. Now, the only thing that's more wonderful than this prayer is the fact that God listens. There's never been a day like this before or ever since, we're told. You see, the Lord will bring about His victory. You remember, He'd already promised it to Joshua. He said, don't be afraid, not a man will stand against you. Now, I want you to think about it in this context, that God will do what He says, even if He has to stop the sun. That gives some real meaning to his promises to us, doesn't it? That all of his promises will come true. He will keep his promise to Joshua even if he has to stop the sun in the sky. Now, we shouldn't try to rationalize this. There are commentators that will talk about this as if it was some sort of eclipse. Or they'll say it's poetic language. Now, what I can tell you is, I do not know how this happened. But I can say it did happen. And that should be enough for us. Because if God could not stop the sun, then how could God create the world? How could God resurrect Christ from the grave? How could God bring peace to the world and defeat sin for all time if he can't do something as simple as stopping the sun? You see, we don't need to understand all of the details to believe the truth of Scripture. 
And because of this, Joshua is able to have a complete victory. None of the kings escape. There's this interesting description how they try to hide in a cave away from their armies and how they're penned up with a big set of rocks. And Joshua says to the army, don't worry just about them. We'll take care of them later. Let's make sure we have a complete victory. And they go and they roll up all of the enemy armies. And then God wants Joshua and Israel and us to see how complete a victory it is. There's this odd scene where Joshua has the commanders of Israel put their feet on the necks of the kings. What does this mean? I think it's a reminder to everyone that God is all-powerful. It's a visible picture that the Israelites are to have in their mind as they go forward and fight other cities, other kings, other tribes, to know that God will defeat their enemies. One commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, puts it this way. It's kind of like a sacrament in the sense that it is a picture that we can dwell upon and see and think about in the future to transmit a great truth to ourselves from God. And what follows on the result of this is the quick conquest of Canaan. The rest of Joshua 10 is almost formulaic. They go from this city and they take it and they defeat it to the next city and they take it and they defeat it over and over again. And we lose, I think, in the repetition and in the swiftness of it how vast the conquest is. The entire bottom half of the promised land is conquered in a very short period of time because God fights for Israel. So this story is true. And it is also a lesson for us. We should never doubt God no matter what the circumstances. Now, that does not mean life will be easy. Joshua and Israel still had battles to fight. They had to exert their strength. There were temporary setbacks. But the Lord who has declared victory will bring it about. This is a confidence that we can place in God. That He has declared victory for His children. For those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though there may be days when it seems that victory is very far away, we must understand that God is with us. That His purposes are firm. That His faithfulness will never waver. The Lord is indeed our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this evening that you would remind us of your faithfulness. That you would help us even as we go throughout our business this week. As we go to school, to work, at home. That you would continue to remind us that your faithfulness never wavers. That we are with you. And that you indeed are our God. Lord, Bless us and encourage us. Cause us to trust you even more each and every day. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.